My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, May 18th, 2011. I feel more human today. Yeah, I don't know what I felt like yesterday. Maybe more like a fish. (laughs) You know, sometimes when you think about the phrases that we use, the colloquialisms... You realize maybe there's something silly about them. Oh, the limitations of communication. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and, uh, well, we do the work of, of a Berean, comparing what's being said out there. And, you know, God's word's true. You contradict it. You ain't be telling the truth. Sound doctrine reveals what is real. False doctrine keeps you in a lie, a satanic lie at that. And so we, we want to dispel those lies, take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. That's the kind of thing that we're doing here. It's not politically correct. I And those of you who are uh, new listeners, I... I I cannot give you any better advice than this. Don't come to your conclusions about this program on just a sampling of a few programs. You need to sit down and, and, and say, I'm going to listen to about three to four weeks worth of programs. And after you've done that, you'll have a far better idea what goes on in this program. And, as, and, uh, and <laughs> let's just say that. Um, I'm an acquired taste. This is this is a program that is an acquired taste. I I'm um. Let's just say that I step on people's toes. I name names. I play sound bites. I compare what they say to sound biblical hermeneutical principles, the, aka uh, the historical grammatical method. 
And uh, when things come up short, even if the person happens to be the most popular Christian author at the moment, uh, I don't have a problem saying, nope, what this person's saying is not true. It's a lie because it contradicts God's Word. And, you know, the problem is, is that many times we make our assessments of Bible teachers based upon some kind of an intuitive feeling. I feel like this person is telling me the truth, or I like the way they dress, or this person understands me and is communicating on a level that I prefer. And as a result of it, many times we let our guards down about people based upon a feeling and that's not what we're supposed to do. The Bible tells us very plainly that we're to test everything and, the, and to test it against God's Word. And we're to test everybody, regardless of whether or not uh, they have a hook nose and, and a big wart on their face with hairs sticking out of it and, and they're balding and they're, and they're cross-eyed. It doesn't... You know. <clears throat> you know, it's funny that I'm, you know, I'm using that description. Um... I remember a long time ago, somebody tried to tell me the case that uh, somebody in history had had made the case that that's what the Apostle Paul looked like, that he was cross-eyed, had a hook nose, <laughs> just, you know, from the physiognomy point of view, he 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 was uh, he left much to be desired in the um, in the uh, well in the human appearance department, and see that's the thing. Is that appearances? The, the 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 appearance of the messenger is not how we decide whether or not they're telling us the truth. And um, no, we have to listen to their message, and even if it's presented humbly, even if it's presented with the you know, with the person doing the presenting stutters, even if they're not eloquent, even if they speak in a monotone voice and they don't really hold your attention. Funny enough. Um, uh, some of the better guys out there don't have much of a personality, and so we don't. In 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 too many times in the church today, people will come away thinking, "Wow, that was a great sermon!" Because the person made you laugh. They were engaging in such a way that they told stories that drew you into what they were saying, and you really felt like you connected with them. And the time flew by because they were so engaging and so entertaining. And at the end, well, they didn't tell you anything accurate about Jesus and didn't properly handle God's word. So, yeah, what we do here is we cut through all of the superficial stuff. I don't care if they can tell a good story. I don't care if they're a gifted communicator. I don't care if they have 12 books that have been at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. I don't care if they make you laugh, make you cry, can make you hang on every single word that they say. That doesn't matter. No, that's not a way in which to judge whether or not somebody is a good, solid, biblical teacher. The way you do that is by opening up the biblical text and comparing what they say in the name of God to the Word of God in context. Are they pointing you to Jesus Christ and what He has done for you? Are they telling you the great story of the Messiah from all of the pages of Scripture, from Old Testament as well as New Testament? Are, is sanctification preached in light of the Gospel? 
Or are they give you, giving you, well, false doctrine, twisting God's word, giving you strategies for how to have a fulfilling life? Um, are, are they pointing you to yourself and basically saying that if you apply these particular principles, then God is beholden to you to bless you and give you particular things, you know, like health, wealth, notoriety, a purpose, whatever. Yeah, in those cases, that's not biblical doctrine, and I don't care how um, likable or a gifted communicator they are, they ain't be telling you the truth. And uh, I'd I'd much rather have a boring, monotone pastor who had really out-of-control eyebrow hairs and nose hairs and, and maybe even had yellow teeth. I'd rather have one of those guys who faithfully preaches the word, even in a monotone voice, than a flashy, showy, engaging storyteller who tells nothing but a pack of spiritual lies. Because... The one who preaches a pack of spiritual lies, well, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's a preacher who's sending you to hell, not pointing you to Jesus. And since um, I really have no desire to spend eternity in hell, and I need not go there because Jesus Christ died for my sins, I'm really not interested in in pastors with wolfy voices that uh, don't point me to my great God and Savior and my shepherd, Jesus Christ, I, I'm I'm really um, I have no time for them. I, I give me a pastor who preaches Christ and Him crucified, who opens up the biblical text and over and over and over and over again placards Christ, correctly handles God's word, teaches it in context, and teaches the full counsel of the word of God. Doesn't dare to begin to speak of sanctification without first firmly grounding it in our justification. Yeah, I'll take those guys, even if they have a lisp, even if they have a nervous tick, or, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying? I'll take that guy over the flashy, showy guy anytime. Well, because I have no desire to end up in hell. And many times God comes to us in weakness. Many times God comes to us in humble ways, in ways that we don't really expect in ways that are, well, from the world's point of view, are, well, just disgusting. I mean, think about it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not in the palaces of Jerusalem. Shepherds came and worshipped at his feet while he was laying in a manger. And, um, yeah, um, he, um, there was, (laughs) from the point of view of the world, um, I mean, he wasn't born to royalty and didn't grow up in the palace and uh didn't have all the trappings of you know no in fact uh, he you know he was um you know born of a humble virgin who lived in a backwater town of you know in a town called Nazareth he he grew up as a carpenter's son and you know you know, pretty much in poverty and obscurity. He didn't grow up in Rome and the in the empire. wasn't trained by the the greatest philosopher minds of the time. wasn't wasn't even trained in politics uh, per se. You know, humble, humble, humble um, life. And and then you know to add insult to injury. I mean, this guy claimed to be God, but then he was stripped naked, beaten, scourged. Um, had a crown of thorns pressed into his head, was forced to carry his cross, as well, at least as far as he could, um, was taken outside of the city gates of Jerusalem, 
And there he had nails driven into his hands and his feet, and he had a little placard, you know, above his head that said, uh, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Um, and there was nothing about him that would uh, indicate that he was a king. Yeah, sure, he had a crown, but it wasn't made out of gold. It was made out of thorns. And for all intents and purposes, I mean, you have to assume that he was cursed because the Scripture so clearly teaches is that cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And so there's Jesus, um, humble Jesus, in fact, um, you know, Jesus, you know, as Pastor Charmley preached last week, the sermon we reviewed, he, you know, uh, he he took a washcloth and put it around himself and washed the feet of his disciples. The, yeah, there, there, there's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords acting like a slave, a foot washer. So it shouldn't surprise you when the in your neighborhood, the church that's correctly proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins doesn't have large HD screens, um, a huge stage, 10,000 seat auditorium, $84 million mortgage, uh, and a campus, you know, big campus, you know. Um, but instead, it's it's not that church that's faithfully teaching God's word. It's the one that's on the other side of the tracks, kind of in that dicey neighborhood. You know what I'm talking about? The church where you actually might be afraid to park your car because you're afraid that if you left it there for too long, um, you know, parts would go missing or maybe the whole thing itself would disappear, you know? Um, that The one on the other side of the tracks, though, that that's the one with the pastor with the missing tooth and the bad breath. And, and and the one where the 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 pews look like they were built you know by hand by Amish people in 1713 and they haven't really been well taken care of in fact termites might have gotten into them and sitting on them you know they kind of squeak and don't really feel like they're going to hold your body up the reality is is that um that might be the church the church the only church in town where God's word is faithfully preached you know, from the pastor who, you know, wears vestments and, you know, they, you know the, the, the building looks like it's about ready to fall apart and he, he doesn't have the best hygiene habits. And yet, when he ascends to the pulpit, he opens God's word. And in an unadorned fashion, in a fashion that wouldn't be appealing to the world and our entertainment culture and would really seem irrelevant, he begins, and when he speaks, he speaks with power, but not his own. He begins to tell you that story over and again about your sins, your shortcomings, how you don't keep God's law, how daily you sin much against God in thought, word, and deed. And when he preaches the law, even though he has a little bit of a stutter in his speech and and you could swear that you smell his bad breath just hanging in the air, yet he preaches in such a way that you're cut to the quick and you realize that you're not holy, you're not pulling it off, you're not righteous. 
and that the God that he is preaching about, that that really is the one that you're going to deal with on the last day. And that if you were to stand before that God in your self-righteousness, you haven't got a snowball's chance in Hades of, of surviving. In fact, you, you know, because of this man's faithful preaching of God's law, you realized that you need a Savior. And then, just when you are about ready to despair, just when you are about ready to think that it's all over for you, out of nowhere, he begins to tell you, about the scarlet thread that runs through all of scriptures, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the end of the book of Revelation. He tells you of God's great rescue of sinners and how if God kept a record of wrongs, nobody can stand. But with the one true God, there is forgiveness of sins, and therefore he is feared. And then you hear about how it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, and you find out that that naked, bruised, beaten, scourged, crucified, pierced Jesus hanging on the cross was there as your substitute, was there taking your punishment upon himself so that you could be granted a free pardon so that you, by faith, can trust in God that all of your sins are forgiven and that you are now counted righteous in God's sight for the sake of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it might be that the only church in town that actually faithfully preaches that is one that you're not comfortable going to and that doesn't have all the trappings and modern conveniences. I mean, they, they, you know, they, you, they might even try to serve coffee there, but it tastes awful. But regardless of all of the humble, non-relevant, really kind of backwards things about that church, that's the church where the truth is proclaimed, where Jesus is properly exalted and glorified, where your sins are properly exposed, and our great God and Savior Jesus Christ is placarded in all of his glory. There for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, for your life, for your light. And he teaches you how to abide in that Jesus by preaching him Sunday after Sunday. It, that might be the place where you have to go to hear God's word faithfully preached for you. Just might be the case in your town. So don't judge based upon external appearances. Instead, listen for the voice of your Savior, because Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. And even if that voice is coming from a humble, almost despisable vessel, who cares? That's where God has chosen for his voice to be proclaimed in your town. And you shouldn't despise the humble surroundings of it, because you're not seeing it the way God sees it. You're seeing it the way the world does. And the world's way of looking at things is soon to pass away. All right. <laughs> Time to talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Now that I got that off my chest. I've got a uh, Patricia King update. Um, apparently it's payback time. That's what Patricia King says. We're going to be doing a Patricia King update. And, um, and then I'm going to spend a little bit of time reminding you all of uh, one of the clear signs that Jesus gave uh, regarding the last days. And uh, if you're familiar with Jesus' Olivet Discourse from Matthew chapter 24, 
Um, right out of the shoot, Jesus um, warns the disciples that in the last times there will be many false Christs and false prophets who will arise claiming to be him. And um, uh, today I put up two uh, new exhibits in the Museum of Idolatry, two brand new exhibits from two guys, both claiming to be Jesus, one by the name of Ra'el and the other uh, a guy by the name of A.J. Miller who claims to be Jesus as well, and <laughs> conveniently his wife is Mary Magdalene. Um, so we're going to be uh, listening to, well, we're going to pay attention to those stories. I've got uh, a Harold Camping, um, uh, I've got a, well, I've got a Harold Camping update via uh, Albert Muller. He's uh, written regarding Harold Camping's uh, false prophecy. And the good news is, is that if you're a Harold Campingite and you're worried about your pets, um, you know, and what's going to happen to them after Saturday, uh, there's a service that's being offered, uh, you know, f- uh, for post-rapture pet care that uh, you know I'll be reading about today from the Huffington Post, and then. Um, I'm going to be doing a sermon review in hour number two. First time I've ever done a sermon review from this guy, uh, from John Maxwell. Yeah, the popular, well, he's supposedly a pastor, uh, but, well, better known for his motivational speaking. But uh, he delivered a a sermon at Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. Now, this is a church that we're going to be paying a lot more attention to in the days ahead. Um, Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. This is... Um, yeah, if you got if you got if you um, know folks that attend this church, um, let's just say that in in the coming weeks uh, you're going to realize that this is not a church that any Christian should be attending. <laughs> no, not at all. But um, so uh, yeah, uh, but uh, uh, John Maxwell recently preached a sermon there entitled "Filling Your Mind to Fulfill Your Life." Filling your mind to fulfill your life by John Maxwell. So we're going to be reviewing that today. First time I've ever taken a crack at a John Maxwell sermon. So uh, we got a lot of ground to cover, plenty to do today. So uh, don your crash helmets, uh, fuzzy bunny slippers, and adult beverages, uh, all depending. And uh, with that, let's dive into the program proper. All right. That music can mean only one thing. Time for an update from the Patricia King gang, and it just so happens that we'll be going to the ringleader herself, Patricia King. Um, she's got a a new video out entitled "It's Payback Time." Yeah. Now, Norton. Now, I correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the whole "It's Payback Time" isn't that have to do with retributive justice or maybe v- vengeance? You know, if if you were to hear. You know, uh, a mafia don go. It's payback time. Y- you would, you know, and you would be praying that you're not the person he's referring to, and uh, you you'd be going to the FBI asking to be um, put into a safe house and to have your life protected. Um, y- y- you understand what I'm saying? So it's kind of weird uh, hearing from Patricia King, you know, that it's payback time. Well, let's find out what she's talking about. Here we go. I know that many of you that are watching have been going through a lot recently. In fact, yeah, I have. um, There's someone watching this particular film that you've been looking over the years of loss after loss after loss. No, it's not me. But I'm telling you, for everyone that's watching this program right now, and especially for that one that I just received the word of knowledge for, it's payback time. What does that mean? Um... You know, the justice of God is amazing. 
Yeah, it's frightful. Um, <laughs> the justice of God is amazing. Yeah, it, it it is amazing for sure. And uh, you know, believe me when I tell you, I really don't want the justice of God being applied to my life. Because if I got what I deserve, um, because when when I examine my life in light of the just the Ten Commandments, um, I I come up wanting, like seriously, seriously, come up short. Uh, something seriously wrong. It's not adding up. Uh, it's um, yeah, no. In fact, uh, when I examine my life in, in light of the Ten Commandments and I think about God's justice, um, I immediately think of Jesus on the cross, and I could see what God's, God's justice entailed when it came to my own sin. So I, I'm really not hoping for payback, in, in, in at least in the God's justice form. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes we wonder, God, where are you in this situation? I've been faithful. I've been standing on your word. I've been doing everything right. But R- Really? <laughs> really? Um, <clears throat> if I were to ever pray that prayer, God, I have been faithful. I have been doing everything right. Um, hmm. Yeah, um, there would be a serious problem with that prayer. Um, if if you've ever prayed that prayer, you, um, may I strongly suggest that you repent because you have not done everything right, and no, you have not been faithful. True faithful, true doing everything rightness uh, requires that you don't sin, that you don't that you don't disobey God, that you love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything that is within you, as well as loving your neighbor perfectly as yourself. And uh, if you can say that you're pulling that off every day, well, then you don't need Jesus. I'm serious. I mean, at that point, God does really owe you something. Um, uh, but see, I was taught to pray by Jesus in his word where he says, When you pray, say, <clears throat> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses passes as we forgive those who trespass against us so daily i have to pray lord forgive us our trespasses i daily am praying for god to forgive me of my trespasses so yeah there's something wrong here where's where's my payday where's the payback time where no you really don't want that you know no 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 you really just don't want that uh, where where the enemy does restore that which he stole well the justice of god is based on proverbs 6 verse uh, 30 and 31 and basically it says that when you catch a thief in the act he has to restore sevenfold that which he stole what <laughs> on <laughs> what is she talking about hang on a second here <laughs> okay so proverbs 6 all, all of god's justice is based upon this okay let's find out what it says here all right the uh, the verse she's referring to um is well Verse 30 and 31, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. Hmm, I am not seeing this. Um, 
Let me let me put this back in context. You know, Proverbs chapter six. We'll start at verse twenty-seven. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? The obvious answer is no. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Well, I've actually seen that on TV, but it's a trick. Um, so, it, so is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Yikes! Uh, people who do not despise people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it to dest- uh, he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Um, you know, I tweeted earlier today that I would not be talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I, I, believe me when I tell you, reading uh, Proverbs um, 6.32 about he who commits adultery lacks sense, um, that was not me trying to segue into the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. Anyway, um, oh man. So uh, no, Patricia, um, putting this back in context, um that really is not the foundation of God's justice. Let me back the audio up just a smidge so we can hear you say that again, because you're so wrong as usual. Um, Payback time where, where, where the enemy does restore that which he stole. Well, the justice of God is based on Proverbs 6, verse uh, 30 and 31. No, verse 30 and 31 is talking about the, the poor person who steals. And basically it says that when you catch a thief in the act, he has to restore sevenfold that which he stole. Uh, not exactly, again, that's not, not exactly what's going on in that passage. You're really twisting it. Uh, and notice you're not reading it. He must. We're going to put a demand on that today. I'm going to stand with you today that the enemy who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Oh. Yeah, um, no, uh, Proverbs 6, 30, and 31 are not talking about Satan. <sighs> Where did you learn how to read? It's going to pay back sevenfold that which he stole. It's payback time for you today. Uh, I mean, this is just adventures and complete nonsense. I mean, how is it that anybody takes this woman seriously as a, quote, Bible teacher? Not only that, it says he must give all the substance of his house. In other words, you get to plunder his goods. Yeah, again, Proverbs 6, verses 30 and 31, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. Yeah, it, it, that's kind of a retributive justice kind of thing. If you're caught stealing, there's a penalty for stealing, even if you're poor. That's really what's going on in that verse. It's not talking about Satan. I mean, good night. You know, when Israel was coming out of Egypt, they'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Yeah, familiar with and that. And they had not been treated well. They No, they were treated very badly. Just watch the Ten Commandments recently. You know, it's funny. Um. That was one of my birthday presents. My uh, my mom got me a, the Blu-ray edition of the Ten Commandments, uh, Cecil B. DeMille's uh, Academy Award-winning classic uh, with uh, the NRA guy. Anyway, um, I <laughs> I hadn't seen it in almost two decades. It's been that long since I've seen the movie, and I was stunned by how melodramatic the acting was. Anyway, it's kind of a different story. Worked hard and didn't get the wages that were due them. They were they were oppressed yes, by the yes. rulers yes, of the land. Yes, they were. Yeah. But then payback time came. 
uh, yeah, God is the one who delivered them out of the hands of slavery. And it, the text says that God, you know, made the Egyptians well disposed to, you know, to giving them gold and things like that. Uh, but that, see, again, this doesn't have anything to do with Proverbs chapter six, verses thirty or thirty-one, or that somehow we have some kind of a payback to where we can plunder Satan's house and steal everything back from him sevenfold that he's taken from us. That's, I mean, this is just nonsense. God in his mercy, heard the cries of their heart. And he sent a deliverer, Moses. And when they left Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians for all their gold, their silver, their spices, everything that they had. When they left Egypt, they didn't leave empty-handed. No, it was payback time. Yeah, yes, it kind of sort of was for them. But where in the Bible does it promise us the same thing? in a clear teaching. Yeah, see, you're just allegorizing the story then and misapplying it to us because there's no clear promise that we're going to plunder the devil and get back what he stole from us seven times. You know, They had everything that was owed them plus interest. When they left Egypt, they left full of the wealth of Egypt. Yeah, I, they sure did. I tell you, I'm prophesying over you now. Yeah, and this is a false prophecy. You ought to have a chat with William Tapley. You do would probably get along. It's payback time. Examine your life and see any area where the enemy has stolen from you. Oh, boy. So, Ed, is this like, a, you know, like if your house is broken into you? Do you need pictures? You know, I, I need to go and take photographs of all of my stuff. And, you know, so that if, I'm, if my house is broken into, I can, and, you know, keep the receipts so if my house is broken into, then, you know, I can give it to the insurance folk and they can. <sighs> and start to put a demand on the word of God that says, I've caught the enemy in the act and he has to repay sevenfold that which he stole. <laughs> I want to beat my head against something blunt. Anyway, oh man, you're going to put a demand on the word of God saying, I caught the enemy in the, in the act of stealing. and I'm putting a demand on him that I want paybacks. The Bible doesn't teach this. Amen? No, no. No amen. Patricia, once again, you have uh, even amazed me, uh, proving once again that you are incapable of actually correctly handling God's word. You sound a lot like um, Jesus' description of the devil. Uh, you know, that, that he, he's not capable of telling the truth or abiding by the truth. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. I think that kind of sort of applies to you because you're so far deceived, Patricia. You actually think you're teaching what the Bible teaches when you're not even doing anything remotely even close to resembling that. We pray that God would deliver those whom, whom you have stolen from the kingdom and that he replace and that we put a demand on God, you know, that they be released and given back to us sevenfold. It doesn't even make any sense when I try it. Anyway, we are up on our first break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. 
You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Well, well, I I better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, gospel, Jesus. uh, uh, Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? 
Very well, I'll give them a try. I'm excited to announce the arrival of our latest book. It's entitled The Sufferings of Jesus Christ for Sinners, a series of sermons delivered by Martin Luther, edited by, well, me, Chris Rosebro. This collection of sermons defines what it means to be Christ-centered and cross-focused. They masterfully deliver both law and gospel so that your sins are brought to light and Christ's sufferings and blood are placarded in order to bring you to repentance and the comforting assurance of God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. Luther's style in these sermons is bold, in-your-face, uncompromising, and and pastoral. These sermons are expository in their delivery and read like a lay-level Bible commentary and are perfect for both devotional as well as theological reading. You can get your copy of The Sufferings of Jesus Christ for Sinners a couple of ways. One, visit fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Join Our Crew button, and join our crew anytime between now and the end of May of 2011, and you'll receive an email giving you instructions on how you can download your copy of this wonderful little book. Of course, if you'd like to pay for it without joining our crew, you can do so by visiting piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. That's piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. You'll see a couple of links whereby you can purchase it, download it, and begin reading it immediately. This is not a book that you're going to want to miss, and this is not the kind of book that sits idly on your, in your library. This is one that you're going to definitely want to read over and again. It's that good. So what are you waiting for? Get your copy today. All right, we're back. Warning, uh, Satan is a gifted twister of God's word. Uh, You need to pay real close attention to what's going on when folks like Patricia King are opening their Bible and telling you stuff. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we, we, we depend... I'm trying to kind of change up how I say it because you know what you know what happens. I get into like a routine where I say it the same way at the same time every day, every day, and it's like you don't hear it. And, and so <clears throat> maybe I should you know blow a horn or something. Whoop! Um, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> here, here's the deal. Uh, we are uh, about twenty five percent of the uh, way to our goal, and uh, we have a, a very specific goal. For very specific reasons, our goal is to get 350 new members of our crew in the month of May. It, it's more than halfway through the month of May, and we're only 25% of the way there. Why is this so important? The reason why it's so important is because uh, as our audience has increased, um, so has our expenses. And uh, our uh, let's just say that uh, the our giving hasn't kept pace with the the growth of our audience. As a result of that, we're not making our budget. And so, in order to ensure the longevity of the program and Pirate Christian Radio, uh, we need your financial support. This truly is a partnership, and I'm not worried. And the reason I'm not worried, number one, God is a great God, and he he has a way of always coming through, and I'm very thankful for that. But the reality is, is that the way he comes through is by well, motivating you to support us financially. That's how this works. And so the idea is is that we need a fraction of our audience. And it's really, it's not all of you. It's just a piece of you. It's, you know, but if all of you responded, it would be fantastic because then actually we'd have a little bit of extra money so we could like advertise and, and maybe add another person to help out, things like that. But, uh, you know, that's down the road. God has not seen fit for that. So in the meantime, here's the deal. 
we need you to join our crew um, or send in a, uh, a, a contribution to keep us going so that we can meet our budget. And uh, we're going into the summer months, which are like the worst possible months because things get really lean during there, uh, during the summer months. So here's the deal. If you don't already support us financially, visit FightingForTheFaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. The Join Our Crew button, it's $6.95 every month. It's not, it's not a huge amount of money. It's, it's a small amount. But, it, uh, but you spread that out over uh, the number of uh, listeners who, who need to, uh, that we need to support us, and we're able then to meet our budget month after month after month. And we don't have to um, <laughs> throw things overboard during the, uh, the summer months, you know, the pirate and metaphor. Anyway, uh, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you click on the donate button or you make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to us at uh, Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And uh, check your uh, podcast feed because uh, there's information on how you can uh, – uh, participate in our uh, T-shirt bake sale. Uh, yeah, we're I'm <laughs> I'm I'm making uh, pirate Christian radio T-shirts on my Udo. Uh, yeah, that's right. Each and every one of them will be signed by me. On, you know, in, in the in the tag in the back. You know, authenticity there, and it'd be a, a, for a limited time o- only. But uh, that's a, information is available. You know, just check your podcast feed. You'll see a thing there regarding the. Uh, T-shirt bake sale. Anyway, support us. We we definitely, truly do need it. And uh, without that, things get, uh, well, financially out of whack. And we just don't have the reserves for things to be financially out of whack. All right, moving along. Okay, I don't, I do not have music for this next segment. I mean, wh- I mean, what do you do for a segment like this? Um, if you uh, are, a, if you uh, subscribe to the RSS feed for the uh, one of the other blogs that I. Uh, run. I, I am the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. Seems like an odd thing to be a uh, thing, but I've been, I, I've been doing the Museum of Idolatry longer than I've been doing radio. And at the Museum of Idolatry, uh, today I put up two new exhibits. Um, one was, um, it's entitled Announcing the Arrival of Yet Another False Christ, and the other was entitled I'm Jesus, Riverland Man, uh, Man Says. And uh, it, so, uh, in fact, let me... Um, Maybe I should start in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I I'm looking at these stories and it's just absolutely depressing. I mean, it, it's it's like the false Jesuses are coming out in herds now. Yeah, which should kind of clue you into the fact that these are not real Jesuses. Uh, Olivet Discourse, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Let me read a section of this for you because uh, I think Jesus's words are um, well prophetic and pertinent and relevant today even if I do have coffee breath and I'm overweight. But um, anyway, uh, here's what it says. In Matthew 24, verse 3, As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the close of the age? Now, what happened is, is in verse uh, 2, Jesus said, he was looking. He was in the temple mount, and he said, to, you, know, says, you see all these stones, don't you? Truly I say to you, there will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so the disciples asked a question that, where the question um, basically assumed that the temple would be destroyed at the end of the age. And so their question, Jesus didn't make any effort to tease out the the fact that the uh, the destruction of the temple is not the same thing as the end of time, the close of the age, or anything of that sort. And so Jesus here, uh, in in true biblical prophetic fashion, uh, gives a kind of a twin prophecy or a single prophecy that. Uh, where there's kind of a, a, an immediate fulfillment and fulfillment that's later in time. 
Okay, um, I forget the exact name that the uh, theologues uh, use for this particular prophetic technique or prophetic feature, um, but it goes like this, is that uh, many times in Scripture, when a prophecy is given, the prophecy is given in symbolic and pictor- uh, pictorial language, and so the, the, the prophecy paints a picture, and like any painting or any photograph, uh, you have things that you have items or objects that are in the foreground and items and objects that are in the background. For instance, if, if you think of some of those Renaissance uh, type uh, 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 portraits that were painted, uh, you've got the, the the subject of the portrait, you know, right there in the foreground, smiling at you, or maybe not smiling. And come to think of it, a lot of those. Uh, uh, Renaissance type uh, photo, uh, not photographs, but portraits. Uh, the people were lacking smiles. It's like you know, you, I maybe they didn't have teeth. I don't know, but um, but the, behind them, you know, there might be a, a, a in the background of the of the painting, there would be a, a mountain range, and it would be in the far far background. So think of prophecy sometimes as as like that. It has stuff that's in the foreground that that is uh, that is taken care of immediately or fulfilled very shortly after the prophecy is given, but at the same time there's elements of the prophecy that are like a distant mountain range in the background of the painting uh, that you have no idea as to when they're going to be fulfilled. Jesus is kind of engaging in that particular prophetic technique, which also happens in the Old Testament as well. And uh, I think the disciples' question made it so that these things get you know lumped in together, and you kind of have to pay attention to some of the stuff he's talking about is fulfilled in 70 AD when the temple is destroyed, and yet there's stuff that it remains yet to be fulfilled. You, you get what I'm saying? At least that's how I understand the Olivet Discourse uh, through the uh, professors and theologians that uh, I've studied with. Anyway, um, Matthew 25, verse 3. So, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Uh, Jesus answered them, See to it that no one leads you astray. Don't, no, don't be deceived by nobody, Jesus says. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. A nation will rise against nation, the kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places, but all of these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> so this is just the, the kickoff stuff for the uh, for the labor pains of you know the 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 new the kingdom of god being birthed here on earth so to speak uh, that's the metaphor given here so uh, jesus makes it clear that um that there's going to be false christs and false prophets he reiterates that in the same chapter verse 24 when he says um I'll back up, verse 22, if, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So, yeah, there's um. Not only is there going to be a, a a rise of false Christs and false prophets, but they, apparently they're going to perform signs and wonders so as to meet, mislead, if possible, even the elect. So, which leads then back to what I was saying. Um, yeah, uh, let me read to you this particular story. Um, from the AdelaideNow.com. Dot .au uh, website. This is an Australian publication. 
I'm Jesus, Riverland Man says. This is written by David Murray. Um, a couple who says they are Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene have set up base in Queensland in the Queen in Queenland's Bible Belt. Man, boy, I messed that up. In Queensland's Bible Belt, the pair, real names Alan John Miller, who once lived in Luxton in South Australia's Riverland, and Mary Susan Luck, operate from rural Wilkesdale near near, near King. Kingaroy, where they have been joined by an increasing band of followers. Quote, my name is Jesus, and I'm serious, Miller said in a video recorded from one workshop. Cult watchers in the Anglican and Catholic churches are alarmed, uh, are alarmed the pair who ask, for, ask followers to make donations to sustain them could draw in the vulnerable. Miller bought a uh, 16HA property in Wilkesdale, and uh, what is 16HA? I am just not familiar with my um, uh, Australian currencies. Anyway, um, property. Uh, well, maybe it's maybe it's acre. I don't know. Sixteen uh, ha property in Wilkesdale in 2007, and his Divine Truth followers have since been buying nearby blocks to be uh, close to the charismatic leader, who's 47, and alluring Luck, who's 32. Locals and real estate agents confirmed the group had sparked an unlikely property boom with estimates that they had bought up to 30 blocks with new properties in high demand. Followers joined forces in 2009 to buy a $400,000, 240 HA, maybe maybe that's acre, property where they hold weekly meetings and plan to build a center catering, catering for international visitors. And a bizarre coincidence, land clearing has created a giant cross on neighboring properties that can be seen from space using Google Maps. Local residents insisted it was not carved deliberately. Police are said to have been called to investigate screams in the area, only to discover members taking part in a healing exercise where they shout to help process past soul damage and ill feelings. Some residents complained that they were being driven out of the quiet hamlet by the group, which resembles Deborah uh, Gillespie's magnificent meal movement that drew scores of followers to uh, Heladon near uh, Toowoomba. <clears throat> Apparently I'm not well versed in my Australian uh, geography, but uh, you kind of get the point of it. And um, so I guess I'm looking at my time today. Man, I'm running long today. Um, I'm going to play for you a little bit of audio from the, this man who claims to be Jesus, AJ, um, and um, and I think you'll get the idea as to what's going wrong here. And then maybe tomorrow I'll talk. I'll I'll, I'll get to uh, Albert Muller's piece about Harold Camping and this second false messiah who's cropped up. Uh, uh, his name is Ra'el. I'll get to him tomorrow. But uh, here is uh, a little bit of audio from. Um, the, the this guy who claims to be Jesus and his female companion claims to be Mary Magdalene. See if any of this sounds biblical to you. Here, here we go. Here's all the spheres, and there was spheres up to twenty seconds ago. Huh? Now he's uh, talking about the, the spheres of reincarnation, and he's apparently been reincarnated twenty-two times. All through that life, I never had any emotional damage at all. all right. So I have the amount of divine love in my soul that enables me to be, live in that location. But as soon as I reincarnated, and this applies to my soulmate as well when she reincarnated, and remember that it has been prophesied in the Bible and other places that I was going to do this, 
Uh, no, the Bible does not prophesy that Jesus is going to reincarnate. That I was going to return, right? What happens is the emotional damage from my parents starts in straight away filtering into my soul. And the memories that I have of all of that life, that 2,000 years in my case of life, start triggering all of these new emotions that I now need to deal with. You follow me? Now, I could have chosen to re-enter the earth without reincarnation. Because when you're in the 22nd sphere state, you can create a body at will. So you can without actually... coming through a birth canal, are you saying? Yep. Through, 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 a thing, through a female body? Yeah, you yeah. you can materialise a, a form. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, any spirit above the seventh sphere can do that. And any, even spirits below. Who's heard of Anastasia? Yeah. Who's read some of the... She's a fifth sphere spirit at the time of the writing who materialised a form. Right? So, so you can materialise a form right, on earth. And so, but I chose to not do that because what that would do was actually worsen people's beliefs about myself. So what, what, do, what do I want to teach you? I don't want to teach you that I'm different to you. I want to teach you that I'm exactly the same as you. Yes. I want to teach you that, that you know, the only reason, the only difference is be open and, and willing to experience all of your own emotions and pray for love. Yeah. And yeah. there are the things I want to teach. How am I going to teach you that if I don't live it? Because well, I didn't live it in the first century. Okay. It's so, so that I can demonstrate my love for you and so that I can demonstrate what you also need to do if you want to become at one with God. Mm, yeah, so yeah, Jesus, uh, AJ, <clears throat> claiming to be Jesus, basically the reason Jesus did everything was to demonstrate the things that you need to do that, so that you can be at one with God. Um, so uh, tell us, AJ, um, uh, who claims to be Jesus, what was the crucifixion all about? You think you can uh, fill us in on some of the details of the theology of, of your crucifixion? A lot of people talk about the crucifixion in terms of a, um, an issue of the law of attraction. The truth is that I did attract it. Okay. And the truth is the reason why I attracted that, attra attracted that event is because inside of me I had this strong desire to, to be in a state of truth wherever I went. Now, of course, what that's going to do is attract around you lots and lots of people who are in error. Mm -hmm. And kind of truth and error always will be in disharmony with each other. Now, those people in error wanted to harm me, of course. So that was their, <laughs> that was their desire, to harm me. Now, at every single place that I went to, I had a chance to avoid that harm. But I made choices at times where I decided not to. Right? So there was a time, like three years before the crucifixion, where I was stabbed, for example, and I healed that straight away. So, you know... Really, I had no idea Jesus was stabbed three years before the crucifixion. I mean, I guess he healed it so quick we would have never known, you know? It didn't affect me. It didn't, it didn't have any personal emotional impact on me. In the crucifixion, the night before, before I, I died, um, quite a few spirits came and warned me if I stayed in the place that I was staying in, that it would be a high likelihood I'd die, high likelihood I would die the next day. And I chose for other bigger reasons to actually stay. Yeah. Because there were, there were things that needed to be proven, which no matter what I said could never be proven <coughs> without somebody putting them into practice. And one of those things was, how would anybody ever believe that what I was saying about death not being 
of any importance. How would anybody ever believe that there was no such thing really as death? The only way was for somebody to die that they knew and that somebody to come back and actually stand in front of them and show them that they're still alive. Ah, so the death and resurrection was just to prove that death isn't real. Right. And that's what I chose to do. So So this is kind of a form of docetism. It just seemed real, but it isn't real. Mm. So I didn't, you know, obviously I wanted to put off my death as long as I possibly could. But by that stage, what had happened is that almost every person around me still didn't believe what I was saying to them about death. Even my own soulmate did not believe what I was saying to her about death. And, and that would be Mary Magdalene that he's referring to, his soulmate, you know. So in the end, the only way, once you get to a certain point in, in presenting truth, the only way you can demonstrate it is by demonstrating it with your own life. So it was a big cosmic demonstration of the non-reality of death. Got it. Yeah. And that's what I chose to do. You're not in the same situation this time, though, are you? Well, I don't know. Maybe at some point, but I don't think so. Most of you believe in an afterlife, do you not? That you believe that there is something beyond? Yeah. Well, in the first century, that wasn't the case. There was this very, very hazy beliefs about afterlife, particularly amongst the Jews. Now, the Greeks were different, of course. You know, they had a lot stronger viewpoints about the afterlife. And, yeah, Hades and Tartarus and, you know... Okay. You know, Plato and Aristotle and all those kind of teachers that came sort of seven or 800 years. It's not like the Old Testament guys didn't teach about Sheol. You know, they did. Years before myself, they all taught all of those things about the soul. But, but the, Jew, the Jews and the Jewish faith were very, were very earthy. And, and in a lot of ways still are very earthy. That's why they focus so much upon their own country's defense, because they're very focused on... Notice the the way this so-called Jesus is talking. I mean, he doesn't include himself as a Jew. Hmm. You know, what's going on in the physical, yeah? All right. So, I mean, this is frightening stuff, and uh, this is the kind of stuff that should make you uh, wake up for a second and go, whoa. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, Jesus promised that this kind of stuff would be happening. And uh, when I, I run across these things, I forward them on to you. I've got more I can play for you. I, well, I'll probably wait either till tomorrow or maybe next week to uh, give you the Ra'el piece of this. Uh, because Ra'el is supposed to make some kind of a big announcement on YouTube. And um, on May 21st of all days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the end of the world as we know it. Anyway, so there you go. If you know anybody who's caught up in this stuff, uh, you need to ankle tackle them and get them out of the clutches of this lunatic. Um, this guy is de- this is a deception of the highest order, and uh, I-, I can tell you that um, I would suspect that the uh, the hottest regions of hell are reserved for people who claim to be Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, because he ain't so. Um, the real Jesus is not going to be very thrilled to meet um, A.J. Miller um, on the other side of his life currently. So, yeah, pray for him and pray for his followers. This is this is a very very deep kind of deception that we're that we're looking at here. So, all right, we are up on our uh, second break. When we come back, it'll be my first time ever reviewing a John Maxwell sermon. 
So uh, you, you definitely don't want to miss that. Um, now, if you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. It's like what not to wear for theology. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. I'm excited to announce the arrival of our latest book. It's entitled The Sufferings of Jesus Christ for Sinners, a series of sermons delivered by Martin Luther, edited by, well, me, Chris Rosebro. This collection of sermons defines what it means to be Christ-centered and cross-focused. They masterfully deliver both law and gospel so that your sins are brought to light and Christ's sufferings and blood are placarded in order to bring you to repentance and the comforting assurance of God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. Luther's style in these sermons is bold, in-your-face, uncompromising, and and pastoral. These sermons are expository in their delivery and read like a lay-level Bible commentary and are perfect for both devotional as well as theological reading. You can get your copy of The Sufferings of Jesus Christ for Sinners a couple of ways. One, visit fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Join Our Crew button, and join our crew anytime between now and the end of May of 2011, and you'll receive an email giving you instructions on how you can download your copy of this wonderful little book. Of course, if you'd like to pay for it without joining our crew, you can do so by visiting piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. That's piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. You'll see a couple of links whereby you can purchase it, download it, and begin reading it immediately. This is not a book that you're going to want to miss, and this is not the kind of book that sits idly on your, in your library. This is one that you're going to definitely want to read over and again. It's that good. So what are you waiting for? Get your copy today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, we'll we'll have to get to the Al Mohler piece and the uh, Rapture Pet Care um, tomorrow. <laughs> Do you ever just wake up and feel like the whole world's just gone crazy? I just um, <laughs> beginning to think I need to go find a bunker somewhere and hole up for a while. Maybe dig out a Y2K book or something. (laughs) 
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is preached by John Maxwell. Uh, he was a guest preacher at Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. And uh, those of you who know folk at South Lake, um, let's just say that I will be uh, taking advantage of, well, showing some of the problems that are there. In fact, let me uh, just kind of tip you off to a few of them. Yeah, this is a, an interesting church. The, the reason I say that is, is because when I subscribe to their iTunes sermon feed, yeah, that's how I collect a lot of all of these sermons, um, I'm just looking through the people that they've had this year preaching there. Okay, by the way, their pastor, their head pastor is a guy by the name of Robert Morris, who preached at New Spring this past week. Yeah, I'll be reviewing that shortly, too. But anyway, he's had Creflo Dollar preach there. Creflo Dollar, the word faith heretic and fleecer of God's sheep. He's had Bill Hybels there this year. Um, Brian Houston has preached there in February. You know, like, it reads like a who's who of who you don't want preaching at your church. Um, and, uh, this, you know, in the past week he had John Maxwell preaching, Dino Rizzo and, uh, man, uh, Brady Boyd and, uh, Stuval Weems. I, Stovall Weems, I, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, based upon who they have preaching there, if you got friends who go to, uh, Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas, ankle tackle them and, and drag them out of there and tell them to run, yeah, there's something seriously wrong with this church. It's <laughs> just based on who's preaching from the pulpit. <clears throat> That's just a cursory look. W- wait till we get into the theology. <laughs> it's really bad. Anyway, um, John Maxwell. He, I'm going to kill the music. John Maxwell is uh, famous for his um, motivational speaking, if you would. And um, he, he, you know, he's supposedly a, you know, a, a preaching pastor himself in his own right, in his own right. So, um, but uh, this is his sermon entitled "Filling Your Mind to Fulfill Your Life," <clears throat> and uh, we'll just kind of g- take this apart piece by piece. And I just ask yourself: Do you need a crucified and risen Savior for any of this stuff? That's all I got to say up front. Let's. Uh, here's uh, John Maxwell. Our guest speaker was at our men's conference, and he is, he is one of those just incredible men that God's blessed the church with and really our, our world with. Yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced that uh, John Maxwell is a blessing from God for the church. I'm, based upon what I've read in his books and, uh, and heard in this sermon, you know, when I pre- previewed it, yeah, I'm not convinced he's a blessing. It, it, he actually might be a curse. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal writer, speaker. He uh, actually speaks to Fortune 500s, Fortune 100 companies. Yeah, he, he yeah. Why would a Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 company want a Christ-centered, cross-focused preacher of repentance and the forgiveness of sins speaking at their corporate retreats? <laughs> 
oh, sorry, they 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 don't want those guys. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason why John Maxwell speaks at those events. He leads them in leadership issues. He's written over sixty books. Leadership issues. Mm. He's sold over 19 million books. I mean, it's just amazing what God's done with his life. Again, I, is it really God? Yeah, I'm just wondering. And uh, uh, I love to hear him. In fact, when I read a book 20 years ago, it changed, totally changed the way I lead. And so uh, he's a... Mm, yeah, wow. Testimonial there. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal man, friend of Gateway. I want us all three campuses. Come on, let's give a rocking welcome here to Dr. John Maxwell. Thank you. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Good morning. All right, let me ask you a question. Do you have worship like this every week? Oh, my goodness. When you go to heaven, you're going to want to come home on the weekends, aren't you, huh? <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to say, God, I'll go back. I'll come back, but just let me get the gateway. Just come on. Let me get in a little bit of that worship. Wow. Whew, that was truly wonderful. Let me, let, let, let's get acquainted. My name's John. What's your name? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. My wife, Margaret, and I have been married uh, 42 years. We have two children, both married, five grandchildren. How many of your grandparents? How many grandparents here? Okay, now, you that are raising your hands, you're going to understand exactly what I'm going to say. The rest of you have... Uh, who is he preaching about? Uh, well, so far himself. Huh? Okay. No clue. Grandchildren are God's reward for you not killing your children. <laughs> so let me do... You just let you know... Yeah, it, it, you got got to love those gifted communicators. They do a, such a good job of delivering those jokes. Yeah, because that'll wow a crowd just about anywhere. When you have those teenagers and you're saying, should I let them live? You know, I mean, what am I going to do here? Let, let them live. Let them live. Trust me. They'll give you a grandbaby and that first grandchild, you'll hold that baby in your arms. You'll say, this is the smartest, most beautiful baby in the world. Then you ask yourself a question. Why did intelligence skip a generation? Ah, another one. Oh. Ah, yes, so entertaining. I was at a large convention speaking, and I, and I told that story, and I forgot my son Joel was in the audience. <laughs> so when I'm done speaking, I go back to the green room, and he's waiting on me. He's, he's there. He's waiting on me, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and I said, now, Joel, honey, you, you know I was kidding. I was having fun with the audience. You know, I, I was doing that. He said, no, 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 that's okay. He said, that's okay. In fact, he said, he said, I think you're right. I said, you do? He said, I think you're right. He said, in fact, just last week, Grandpa and I had that very same discussion. <laughs> I, uh, ah, yes, that's, yeah, so funny. Yes, what a card. Ah, yeah, great comedic timing. By the way, this is sermon time there at uh, <clears throat> Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. Um, I, I'm so glad to be with you, and, and Pastor Robert is a wonderful friend. You have, a, you have an unbelievable church. I know you know that, but what a, God has blessed you incredibly. I have some books out there, and I've been signing uh, between services. In fact, I just... Oh, I'm sure you have a few of them. Oh, great. Just got in a few moments. Why'd you tell us about those books? I mean, because I'm sure everybody wants to make sure to get an autographed copy of one or four of them. 
What's good because I've been signing. And let me just tell you, I've got just a few books out there you'd be interested in. This one is called Running with the Giants. In Hebrews, it talks about the fact when we're running the race, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And what I do is in this book, I take 10 of those giants out of the crowd. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't sermon time the time when we open up God's word and, and hear about what Jesus has done for us and we hear God's word preached in context and you know, things like that? Yeah, isn't this Jesus time, not John Maxwell time? You know, I'm sure that there's a time, sometime, somewhere, for John Maxwell, you know, to you know, to talk about the things he's talked about and promote the, the, his books and stuff like that. I don't have a problem with an author promoting his books. I mean, I I have a book myself that I've edited that I've made available and and I promote it here on the radio. I. I no problem with the idea that you know somebody who's written a book or you know has something that they want to promote that there's there's a perfectly good time and a good place to promote those things. However, sermon time in a church service seems like that's not the time for that behavior. I mean, I mean, you know, for instance, I mean, let me give you a metaphor. Let, let me again. Let me just give you a metaphor. Um, you know, I, I, you know, always in that quest to, you know, shave off a few pounds, and and you know, on a daily basis, I, you know, I get on the elliptical, or I, I, I get on a treadmill, or I get on a bicycle, and and I exercise. And you know, when I exercise, I work up a sweat and stuff like that. And you know, because I'm trying to care for you know my body, I'm trying to lose weight, trying to keep my blood pressure down, you know, keep my mind clear. And I find that exercising helps that. Now, if I were, you know, if somebody invited me to come preach at their church, and and I, and if someone invited me to, you know, to come preach at their church and 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 to deliver the sermon. If I said, you know, uh, yeah, I, I got a better idea rather than, you know, opening up God's word um, and, you know, preaching about Jesus and stuff like that. You know, why don't I instead, you know, I'll bring my gym shorts with me and you guys, you all have a spare recumbent bike that, you know, we can put up on the stage. And so, you know, and then, you know, so they put a recumbent bike on stage and I, and I get out there and I, hi, everybody. You know, I, you know, listen, I know it's sermon time and you're here to hear about God's word. But, you know, let, let me let me give you a demonstration of how a recumbent bike can help you lose weight. And so, you know, I got into my gym shorts and, you know, a T-shirt and, and, my, and my running shoes. And, and I got on the recumbent bike and I started pedaling and, and, you know, explained how the piece of equipment works. And I showed everybody all the different program settings on the recumbent bike. You know, here's how you, you know, set it. You know, like this, this program right here has a really difficult workout that lasts 45 minutes and you cover three and a half miles or what. And you know, people are going, what are you doing? This isn't time for you to talk about how to lose weight on a recumbent bike? This is a sermon time. And I right. But isn't that what John Maxwell is supposed to I mean, this is sermon time. Why is he telling everybody about his books? Hmm. Abraham, David, okay, I take them out of the crowd, and they run one lap with you. And they can only say one thing to you, so they tell you the essence of what they learned about God in their life. Now, this book will encourage you. So if you don't want to be encouraged, do not get this book, okay? It's just because it'll encourage you and it just, it just will mess your whole life up. You'll feel so good after that, okay? This is my newest book, A Leader's Heart. Um, this, is, this is a book you read one page a day, 360. It's a devotional. And uh, at, at, at the end of every page, you've got a place to kind of take some notes, but it talks about how to have a heart for God, how to have a leader's heart, and um, it, it's very helpful. Then, then I have a book on connecting, 
This is a book on how to connect with people. Uh, everyone communicates, few connect. We all know some that, you know, I mean, they, they, they never connect. And this is how to relationally, communication-wise, connect with people. We all have sometimes people we want to do that with. That's what this book's about. When people say, what's the most life-changing book you've ever um, written? It's this one right here called Today Matters. In fact, I had a lady in the last service come up to me, said she read this six years ago. She said, my life has never been the same. What I do is I talk about this. I talk about 12 things I call the daily dozen that you need to think about and do every day that will literally help to make your life what it really needs to be. Today matters. And then the most important thing, I was so glad they brought this, especially uh, with Father's Day coming and with graduations coming. This is the uh, Maxwell Leadership Bible. And of all the things I've ever done, this is the most important project. After pastoring for 20... The, the what? The Maxwell Leadership Bible. Really? Serious. I mean, the Max... Oh, man. 25 years in teaching leadership, I took every leadership lesson I've ever taught biblically and I put it in here. There are 600 leadership lessons in here. Literally every page, as you're reading the Bible, uh, you're just looking at it and there's a, there's a sidebar that'll give you a spiritual leadership. So if you love the word, want to be a spiritual leader, it's a great book. And I, in that last service, I, I signed a bunch of them for dads, for Father's Day, and for graduation. So anyway, they're back there after the service. I'll go back and sign them, and I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to have you watch a video clip before I teach. Um, I, I pastor, I te- I'm a teaching pastor at Christ Fellowship in West Palm Beach, Florida. And a few months ago, I was speaking on attitude. In fact, I'm, I was speaking on the very same subject I'm going to talk to you about in a moment, in a moment how, to, how to fill your mind correctly so you have, live a fulfilled life. But in that setting, what happened is I, was, I had a music stand with my stuff on it, and the music stand wasn't stable, and it kept falling. And, and you're going to just absolutely crack up. You're going to die. And, you get, and as you watch me, understand as this music stand doesn't cooperate, and, it's, and it keeps falling in front of all these people. Get, get the picture. I'm speaking on attitude. Okay, so uh, we're going to watch a humorous video from you having a a flimsy music stand not holding up your... Oh, brother. And, and, and they're watching my attitude. You know what I mean? It's one of those messages you want, you're, you're trying to preach it, but while you're trying to preach it, they're watching you. So just enjoy the video clip, and then I'll, I'll teach the lesson. Let's go. What is your plan to pick up your Bible and your laminated cards in your old book and then get in your Bible and find your place what is your plan well, I got it I got it all is well all is well I love the story of the guy who would go to work and he'd open up his lunch and he'd complain he said oh Bologna sandwich again. I got a bologna, a bologna sandwich again. This is the fourth time this week I've had a bologna sandwiches. I hate bologna sandwiches. And the guy beside says, Heal, heal. Yeah, the um, the uh, music stand flumped his Bible on the floor again and Right in the middle of the bologna sandwich story, too. I'm glad he's keeping a good attitude. I hate cheap music stands. 
Oh, this is so funny. Wow. Especially when they interrupt my story. I'm right in the middle of a great story. Look at this, Todd. Could, could you talk to your dad about this? Oh, this is so funny. Wow, it is so entertaining. I... We just... All during the sermon time. Oh, give me my, give me the rubber band, thank you. Yeah, that music stand is really flimsy. Even the replacement one is flimsy too. It's so funny. Wow, I'm learning so much about Jesus and sound doctrine and biblical teaching. Oh, am I getting the story now? Oh. Guess you had to be there. You gotta get something you can depend on. Thank you. So he's traded in his flimsy music stand for a stool now, you know, something a little bit more sturdy. message is on attitude. Ah, that was so entertaining. Wow. And I'm doing my best. I'm just doing my best. Just doing my best. You know the guy with the bologna sandwich? Forget it. Forget it. You gotta come to tomorrow's service. I'm not saying it tonight. I am not saying it. I will say it tomorrow. <laughs> now, now the good news is I'm gonna teach that lesson, and I'll tell you the baloney sandwich. Okay? The ap- Please don't. The Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter four. That if we fill our mind correctly, our life will be one that is very fulfilled. Okay, listen to what he just said. 
Paul basically making the claim that the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 basically saying if you fill your mind with the right thing, your life will be fulfilled. Is that the reason why the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the churches in Philippi? Is so that you can have a fulfilling life. All you need to know is the right things to fill your mind with. Follow these steps and you will have a fulfilling life. Now, what I'm going to do, okay... I'm going to stop right there because I'm convinced that one of the tactics that false teachers engage in is diverting your attention so that you can't see the obvious, okay? And the obvious is is that they're twisting God's Word. Here, everybody in the audience was so tickled, so entertained, just caught up laughing and giggling and because he showed this funny video where this music stand wasn't behaving right and his Bible kept falling on the floor and he he kept a good attitude. <laughs> That's so funny. And then the first thing he does as soon as he's done showing that funny little clip is he, he engages in something that's not true. He says something that's not true. Let, listen again to what he says. Now, now, the good news is I'm going to teach that lesson, and I'll tell you the bologna sandwich, okay? The Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4 that if we fill our mind correctly, our life will be one that is very fulfilled. Okay. Yeah, everyone's distracted. They're not thinking critically at this point. Is this really what Philippians chapter 4 is all about? And we're going to answer that question by doing our, well, applying our three rules of biblical interpretation. Context, context, and context. Now, I'm not going to read all of Philippians. You need, if you, in fact, if you haven't done this lately, I would recommend taking some time and going back and rereading all of Philippians in context. It was a letter that was intended to be read in its entirety to the churches, okay, in one setting at that, okay? So that's important. So when you read Philippians, the the first half, in fact, the first three quarters of the book, the letter, they're about Christ, It's about Jesus Christ in the gospel. It's not about you. Paul did not write the letter to the Philippians to give them practical steps and tips and principles that they could apply so their lives would be fulfilling. So I'll prove that to you by reading in context. What we're going to do is we're going to start at chapter 3, verse 1, and keep reading through the early portions of chapter 4 so that you can see the immediate context of what he's preaching on. Just to basically answer the question, is John Maxwell telling us the truth that Philippians chapter 4 is about the things you need to fill your mind with so that you can have a fulfilling life? Is that really what that's about? Philippians chapter 3. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing after telling us about our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who, though being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being found in human likeness, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God the Father is exalting him, and every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's all part of Philippians chapter 2. All the stuff is focusing on Jesus. 
Paul then, Philippians 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It is safe for you. Now look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This is the circumcision party, the Judaizers, those who are saying you can't be saved unless you're circumcised, okay? They're mixing law and gospel and basically saying you can't be saved unless you fulfill the Mosaic law. Now look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, will I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless." Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, that's all of his works righteousness, as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, his works of righteousness, as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds that are set on earthly things. Let me say that again. Let me Listen carefully. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds that are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Udiah and I entreat Synthi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you all. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am I, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. In glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now notice, when you read this in context, when you get to some of the imperative statements, the therefores of, and how our lives are lived out in Christ and in sanctification— that those are all connected to and hooked directly back into a clear proclamation of the gospel indicatives for us, for us believers. Paul, again, preaches the gospel to the Philippian church, telling them that we are saved by grace through faith, giving an example even from his own life of how his own works under the law were, well, rubbish and that he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own, and then the sanctification that flows from that gospel, from that being regenerated, that new life we are, we have in Christ. And everything that he talks about there is hooked into the gospel. If you remove the gospel from this, then you, what you're doing is you're preaching works righteousness again, and principles and tips for living under the law, whereby you earn particular things based upon your right attitude, your right behavior, your right thing. But that's exactly the opposite of what the Apostle Paul was preaching and teaching here in Philippians chapters 3 and 4. That's why you have to put things in context. And over again, I am always, always, always throwing red flags and dubious and skeptical when I hear a Christian pastor preaching on Philippians chapter 4 and ignoring chapters 1, 2, and 3. You ignore Philippians chapters 1, 2, and 3 at the peril of your own soul. Because if you think that you can understand Philippians 4 without first properly understanding the gospel that's preached in Philippians 1, 2, and 3, you do. You have another thing coming. You don't really know what Philippians 4 is about because you cannot take Philippians 4 and unbuckle it from the gospel and make any sense of it whatsoever. 
We continue. And I want to talk to you about how to do that. Paul really teaches us here. And and there's a passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes that's kind of foundational for us, and I, I want us to get that passage first. He says, wise thinking leads to right living, and stupid thinking leads to wrong living. Huh? As a man thinketh in his heart. Okay, like I said, you disconnect these things from the gospel and you end up with legalistic self-righteousness. The very thing that Paul is preaching against in this section of Philippians. Boy, this is not good. So is he. Absolutely. Let me define what an attitude is because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. An attitude is the paintbrush of the mind. In other words, we hold the paintbrush and we determine what we paint, what we put, the picture that we draw. We determine the picture in our mind. And the Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, he says, okay, let me explain to you what a fulfilled life looks like, okay? No, the Apostle Paul did not say, okay, let me explain to you what a fulfilled life looks like. I just read Philippians 3 and 4. That is not one of the thrusts of Paul's argumentation, nor is it a theme in his thoughts at all. I just read Philippians 3 and 4. So you notice here, this is how the deception was able to grab a hold. All the distraction of the laughing. (laughs) It's so funny. Yeah, that music stand, it's just so flimsy. Oh, that's just hilarious. (laughs) And then you're done laughing. You think, oh, that was just a scream. And then the first thing he does is lie to you. This is not what Philippians 4 is about at all. And he's telling you something about Philippians 4 that is not true. As a result of it, what's lost? Christ, the gospel, and the fact that even our sanctification is hooked into and doesn't make any sense apart from the gospel itself. Let's look at the passage. He says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all that you meet. Uh, um, What is he quoting from? The message. This is not what the Bible says. He's quoting from a very bad paraphrase. You're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them. See that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And Paul here in this short passage says, let me share with you what the fulfilled life looks like. Wow. This is not, this is not biblical teaching. I mean, unbelievable. Four things. Number one, people that are fulfilled celebrate God. People that are full of God and fulfilled in their life, they have a sense of gratitude for what God has done for them, and they are continually in a habitual pattern of worship. They celebrate God. What are we supposed to worship it for? By the way, this is just all totally law. Nothing but unobstructed law. There's no gospel here. And yet, Philippians 4 doesn't make a whit of sense unless you read Philippians 3, which is all gospel. 
Number two, they add value to people. They're a plus in people's and their relationships, and they're constantly coming into people's lives, and they are helping, serving, giving, sharing, adding value to others. The third thing Paul says is that people that live a fulfilled life give their concerns to God. They give their worries, their anxieties. In other words, in their life, they understand that they can't carry this. My mother her favorite verse was the one that Peter teaches us in the Bible when he said, cast all of your anxiety, cast all of your care on God because he cares for you. And, and, and Paul says, when you live a fulfilled life, you realize you don't have to carry this. You have a father that you can trust who unconditionally loves you and you, and you pass that on to him. Finally, he says, people who live a fulfilled life, they experience the wholeness of God. In other words, they experience all that God has for them. Not in, not in small doses, not in compartments, not in not, not, not dribble. The, the wholeness of God, they... Really, did Paul... I mean, you heard me read Philippians 3 and 4. Was Paul saying any of this stuff? They, they experience and they live in that wholeness all the time. Now, look at this. People that are fulfilled, they celebrate God, add value to people, give God their concerns, and experience God's wholeness. Wholeness. How many of you would like to have that kind of fulfilled life, huh? It's kind of an IQ test, isn't it, huh? I mean, it really is. I mean, of course I would like to live that. And you say, John, how, how does this happen? Well, what's incredible, Paul turns right around and says, now let me explain to you in the scriptures how this can be yours. And the good news is this morning, not on this campus, but on all the campuses, why do I feel like I'm at an insurance seminar and being sold something? How many of you would like to have, oh, yeah, I want that. Yeah, I want the fulfilled life. Yeah, Paul, oh, here's the secrets. Yeah, buy four of my books. And this is here at Gateway. The good news is that every one of you can experience the fulfilled life I've just talked about. So look at your neighbor and say, even you can experience this. Go ahead and tell them that. Okay. All right. Even you can experience the fulfilled life. <sighs> I'm going to lose my temper. I just feel it coming. In fact, look back at him and say, and it's about time. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here, here's, okay, here's what Paul says. We're, we're picking up now in verse 8 and verse 9. Here's what he says. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse, put into practice what you've learned from me, what you heard, saw, and realized, do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Wow. When I was growing up, my... My parents paid, I'm the middle child, the three of us, we were paid an allowance to read books, okay? Uh, my father picked the books out, and we were required to read 30 minutes a day, and, and we, so we were paid an allowance to read books. And, and my friends, they were all paid allowance to do chores. So I went to my dad one day, and I said, you know, all my friends, they get paid to, to do chores, and I get paid to read books, but, but I, I think I like this chores thing about being paid to do chores. He said, son, I'm never going to pay you to do chores. He said, I, you, you do chores because you're part of the family. And, and I don't pay you to be part of the family. Not, we, we don't pay each other to, to be part of the family. He said, let me explain it this way to you. When you were born, you already owed your mother for nine months of room and board. <laughs> so you're already in debt. So, you know, you're, start, you're on the minus side. So just, you know, you know, shut up and take out the garbage. 
But then he said, but I do put my money where my values are, and my values are in you reading good books. From the seventh grade on, that's what the three of us did. He put the books in our hands. And one of the books he put in our hands when I was a seventh grader, James Allen's book, As a Man Thinketh. It's a classic. James Allen, James Allen said, that the greatest discovery of his generation, he said, the greatest discovery of my generation is that people can alter their lives by altering their mind. In other words, James Allen said, when you... uh, <clears throat> oh, um, we can alter our lives by altering our mind? Um, hmm. I don't really quite recall that being a central doctrine of Christian sanctification. Something is off here. Something's really, really off here. When you begin to think right, everything else begins to change. Now, I read that in the seventh grade. By the way, I read that book every year. Well, aren't you holy? How about your Bible? Oh, yeah, you have your leadership Bible with your notes. Every year. And James Allen wasn't the first person that said that you can alter your life by altering your mind. The, I mean, it's sort of Norman and Vincent Peale, right? The Apostle Paul right here said, let me t- explain something. No, the Apostle Paul did not say this. This is not what Paul is saying in this passage. I just read it in context from a real translation. To you. If, you want to have, if you want to have a fulfilled life, the first thing you do is you start absolutely filling your mind correctly. When I go to the dentist, I wonder if this happens to you out here in Dallas. When I go to the dentist, when I'm done, they always give me dental floss. Do you get dental floss when you go to the dentist? And, and, you know, and they say, you know, floss, and I take that dental floss, and I want you to know in a disciplined style of mine, I, I, I dental floss for two days after that. <laughs> now, now, why do you dental floss? Well, you get, that, you, know, you get that floss in there, and you get all that junk out between your teeth. Now, now, that's great for the teeth, but can I tell you something? For the mind, I wish, that there, I wish there was something called mental floss. You know what I'm talking about? Where And I wish we had a zipper on a- You know, it's funny. Um, the scriptures say that in our, in, our, in our sanctification, that God uses his word to transform and renew our minds. Our minds are transformed and renewed by God's powerful word. Hmm. On our head. Yeah, yeah. And so, that, you know, every morning we get up and we unzip our head and you kind of pull that sucker apart and you just go in there and just, just get all that stuff out. of You know, wouldn't it be great if you could just every day kind of get the... How many of you got some stuff in your mind you'd like to get out? Come on, talk to me, huh? Wouldn't it be great if you could just mental floss your mind every day? Now, you entrepreneurs, I've got a product for you that if you will invent... Trust me on this. If you'll invent this, this will... That you'll, you'll make millions. It, somebody needs to get invent what I call sweet spirit spray. Yeah, 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 a, a spray. The, and, and you use it on people that don't have a sweet spirit. You follow me? I mean, I mean you know, people with bad attitudes, people that are negative in their thinking, you know, grouches, you know, just kind of grumbling all the time. And, and, and you have the spray, and you, you've got it, and you, and you reach in your pocket, and, and, and as soon as they start just kind of messing up negative, you just pull out and you go, Psss, and they just start smiling. <sighs> Wouldn't that be a great product? Let me ask you a question. 
it was on the market, how many of you would buy some sweet spirits? Of course you would, absolutely. Let me ask you another question. Do you already know who you would give it and spend it on? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let me ask you another question. Are you sitting beside that person right now? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes, hey, that third question. Oh, we're just laughing him all the way to hell at this point. It's, boy, that road to hell sure is fun to stay on, isn't it? She got some of you in trouble a moment ago. You, had, you were doing okay on the first two. Now, Paul says, Paul says, I don't know about the mental floss. I don't know about the sweet spirit spray. But he said, let me give you four things, and that's what we're going to do now, biblically. Four things Paul says that people that have great attitudes possess. All right, let's go. Number one, people with great attitudes, they possess a teachable spirit. Uh, where is this in the biblical text again? Maybe my problem is I'm just not teachable by heretics. And Paul talked about that. He said in verse 9, put into practice what you learned, heard, saw, and realized. In other words, the things I taught you, put it into practice. Now, teachability requires repeated long, hard looks in the mirror. Because a teachable spirit means... Do, Do I need a crucified and risen Savior for this? Can we talk about Jesus instead, please? that I am open to criticism, I'm open to correction, I'm open to change. In other words, I look in the mirror and I say, oh, my goodness, I may be the problem. You see, we see people not as they are, we see people as we are. Understand that. And so therefore, if we're not right, the people around us are not right. I love the grandpa who went to sleep he was visiting the grandchildren. He was taking an afternoon nap. He had a handlebar mustache. He went to sleep on the bed. One of the grandchildren came in, saw Grandpa sleep, thought they had some fun, got some Limburger cheese, and put it right in his mustache. Just, just stuck it right in his mustache, and he's asleep. And he wakes up. He wakes up, and he starts smelling. Well, he says, the bedroom stinks. He went out in the kitchen, and Grandma was making cookies for the babies. He got a couple of them, and Got some milk, he started dunking those cookies. And, well, you know, he said, the kitchen stinks too. He said, I'll be back in a moment. He went outside and get a big breath of fresh air. And he went, well, he said, the whole world stinks. <laughs> now, the whole world didn't stink. The problem is he had Limburger cheese in his mustache. I know people who have Limburger cheese in their attitude. And no matter where they go, no, hey, no matter where they are, they got problems. Are you with me? I love that expression. There's no matter. Yeah, no, I'm not with you at all. This is not biblical teaching. No matter where you are, there you are. <laughs> and a teachable spirit, a teachable spirit is not only one that, that looks in the mirror and says, I could be the problem, but a teachable spirit allows God and allows other people to speak into our lives. When, when I pastored in San Diego, I'd been there for about 10 years, and, and, uh, and I was traveling a lot, and, and the international ministry was getting heavy, and I was writing books, and I was... I, I was, I was, I was... He's preaching about himself. He ain't preaching biblical doctrine. He's not telling us about Christ. He's telling us about what a great attitude he has. I was tired. I was worn. And, and one of my huge weaknesses is impatience, and when I'm really tired, I really get impatient. And then and, and we needed to make two or three decisions of which I usually processed through the elders and I was tired and, and in a kind of a rash. I just, I just made decisions. I shouldn't have done it. I was wrong, but I made these decisions and, and, and I said, let's keep moving. And it just threw a curve to the congregation because they had never seen me 
you know, not go through the process. And, 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 and so they kind of started asking questions. Instead of when they asked questions, we back it off and say, oh, shouldn't have done it, my fault. I, I became defensive, and I, I began to look at them and say, well, quit complaining. I've been here for 10 years. Let's get with it. You know what I mean? I felt like the children of Israel and Moses, and, you know, and he, you know when he's, they're complaining in Israel and, you know, in the wilderness. And, you know, you know why they were complaining for 40 years. Don't you think Moses would have liked to have gone back to Pharaoh and, and restated this and not said, let all my people go? No, actually, that's not what the biblical text says at all. It says that the people of Israel were the ones who grumbled against God and said, we want to go back to Egypt. In fact, Moses, like a good high priest, prayed on behalf of the people that God wouldn't kill them all because of their unfaithful unbelief and grumbling against God. So I was kind of concerned and not happy with the people, and I was in that passage in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, where they were complaining with Moses, and you know the story where the earth opened up and swallowed the complainers. Mm, yeah, the earth opened up and swallowed the complainers. I seem to remember something about Korah's rebellion. And in chapter, is it, chapter 20 of the book of Numbers, yeah, Korah rebelled against Moses and basically said, everybody is holy, everybody is, you know, all, all the people are holy, and who are you to exalt yourself over, you know, over everybody else and claim that you're somehow a spiritual leader or whatever. Moses fell on his face when that happened. Fell on his face because he was afraid he was going to get killed, you know, when God struck down Korah. God basically said to Korah and his people, all right, grab an in, you know, a a sensor, you know, a a thing to put fire in and, uh, and present yourselves before the tent of meeting the next day. And basically, Moses prayed this, you know, let God decide between the two of us. If God has chosen you, then you'll die a normal death like any other man. But if not, may God do something amazing, like opening up the earth and having you be swallowed up by the earth alive. And read the story of Korah's rebellion. It's not that they were just grumblers. There was something deeply spiritual and rebellious going on there. And I thought, oh, oh, yes. Oh, God, we need to do this again. And so I prepared a message on it for the people. I was so excited. I'm going to preach a message on God will swallow you up if you don't straighten And I'm just, I mean, I worked on that message, and it, I'm telling you, it was good. It was so good. And the next day I looked at it again, I, I can hardly wait for Sunday. I mean, oh, I am going to preach hot, and I am going to preach heavy, and we're just going to hope for a miracle, and the earth, because if the earth will swallow them up, I will, that, oh, man, this could not get better. And God spoke to me and said, by the way, John, the message isn't for the congregation. Well, I ask. Well, apparently God speaks directly to him. Hmm. Who's it for? Don't ever ask God that question. <laughs> he said, John, it's for you. You're the problem. He said, you're the one that's got the attitude wrong. I hate that. When my, when my attitude gets a little wrong around the house, you know what my wife Margaret does? She never says a word. She just goes to my library, pulls out one of the five attitude books I wrote, <laughs> brings it to me and says, you ought to read this book. 
I hate that. And, and God says, John, I want you to know you're the problem. And, and, and I said, I'm the problem. Oh, whoa. well, okay. Then I said, man, I got to, I heard, got to hurry up. It's Thursday. I got to get another message for Sunday. No, 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 no. He said, preach that one. Preach that one. Preach it hot. Preach it heavy. Just preach it like you're going to. And at the end of the message, tell the people it wasn't for them. It's for you. And repent, ask forgiveness, and go to your own altar. All right. First mention of anything that has to do with sin, repentance, and forgiveness, kind of in passing. See if uh, this if we land on the feet of the gospel here at all in this really bad sermon. I mean, I mean, he's mangled God's word beyond recognition. Has the apostle Paul saying things the apostle Paul never said? Has turned Philippians four into something that it never was? I'm glad to hear about repentance and forgiveness. Can we hear a little bit more about that? Jesus, let me ask you a question. I I know you're coming back. Is there a shot that you're coming back before Sunday? (laughs) That Sunday I preached that message and I asked their forgiveness and I wept and they wept with me. It was one of the most beautiful services and God really, really helped me there. Just help me understand, John. Yeah, a beautiful example of repentance and forgiveness. Great. Why don't you preach like that now? Your problem is you don't have a teachable spirit. Paul said, if you're, going to have, if you're going to put good stuff in your mind, you're going to have to let God talk to you. You're going to have to let other people talk to you. And, and you're putting words in the Apostle Paul's mouth. He didn't say any of this. And you're going to have to, you're going to, be, have to be approachable and not defensive. Number two, he says, take... People that have great attitudes, they take responsibility for their attitude. They take responsibility for their attitude. Where in the Bible does it say that great people take responsibility for their attitude? Yeah, my attitude's getting worse by the second here, by the way. And he tells us, I love this, he tells us how to do this. He does, really. Show me that in context from a good translation, please. Look at verse 8. Paul says, first of all, fill your mind on good things. Okay, he says the first thing you do is put good stuff in. You and I have a choice on that, what we put in. Then he says meditate on good things. In other words, let it marinate in your, in your mind. Think it through. And then finally, he says practice. Three things. Fill your- this is as bad as a Rick Warren sermon. Fill your mind with the good things. Meditate on the good things. Practice good things. Now, he said that's how to take responsibility. Your resp- now, he did not say that. Paul did not say that's how you take responsibility for your attitude. And let me reread a section of this. Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory, and they glory in their shame with minds that are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers... Notice the therefore in verse 1 is the therefore in light of that gospel that he just reminded them about. 
Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let me read that again. Stand firm in the Lord. I entreat Udiah and I entreat Synthi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and may the God of peace, and then the God of peace will be with you. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see anything about Paul saying, now, if you want to have a good attitude, then you got to take responsibility for your... Yeah, I'm not seeing any of that here. Responsible for what you put in it. You're responsible about how you think about it. And you said you're responsible to practice it. It's your responsibility. It's not someone else's. I love these people who, you know, have you ever said, have you, have you ever, have you ever met some, have you ever met somebody who was just grumpy? And you said, what's wrong with you? Have you ever heard of... Have, yeah, that's what I'm getting right now. I'm, I'm getting grumpy listening to the sermon. Have you ever heard an adult give you this excuse? Well, I got out of the wrong side of the bed. What a stupid thing to say. No, I, I, I'm not going to blame it on the bed. I'm going to blame it on your Bible twisting and the fact that you are wrongly handling God's word and making the Scripture say things it didn't say and making the Apostle Paul say things that he never said. I mean, if it was really that easy, I'd send you home. I'll tell you to jump on the bed and roll out on the right side. Is it a sin to have a bad attitude? Did Jesus die for my bad attitudes? Oh, the bologna sandwich story? The, bologna sandwich, the two construction guys? Oh, I can hardly wait. Thank. Oh, wow, what a gift from heaven. We're going to hear the bologna sandwich story. Bologna is probably the right word. Yeah. Looks at his lunch bell. He's just ticked. Bologna sandwich again. He said, I hate bologna. Fourth day this week, I hate bologna. Why do I always have to have a bologna sandwich? And he's just going off. And the guy beside him says, hey, come on, guy. Take it easy. Relax. Take a pill. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you go home tonight, just tell your wife you don't want a bologna sandwich. Explain to her that you would like another. He said, leave my wife out of it. I make my own sandwiches. Well, that was uh, quite a laugh line that we got there. Wow, that was sure entertaining. Um, Did I mention this is sermon time? We're supposed to be hearing God's Word in context, sound biblical doctrine, focusing us on Christ. Hmm. And most of the baloney that you have in your life, you packed your own lunch. It's yeah. your book. Yeah, I just want to let everybody know that's not actually a Bible verse. I just, in case you were wondering. Baloney. Yeah, actually, your sermon is baloney. And you've packed it pretty thick. My name's John. I'm your friend. 
Paul says number three. Paul says the third thing is travel the high road. If you're going to, if you're going to live a fulfilled life, understand. Yeah, uh, again, Philippians chapter 4 is not the Apostle Paul telling us the things that we need to do or the principles that we need to apply in order to have a fulfilled life. This is a lie. And you want to treat people better than they treat you because there's a low road. The low road is where we treat people worse than they treat us. There's a middle road where we treat people the same as we treat, and then there's a high road where we treat people better than they treat us. And you get your choice. You get your choice. And here's what he said. Here's what he, he's, he teaches us how to do this. I love this phrase, that God chooses what we go through, and we choose how we go through it. He says, fill your mind. What are you talking about? to meditate on the best, not the worst. Oh, that's high road. The beautiful, not the ugly. Oh, that's high road. Things of praise, not things to curse. That's high road. No, this is all eisegesis. In other words, he says, when things happen to you, you've got a choice. You can either go low, you can go high. And- uh, no, the Apostle Paul is not saying anything of the sort. You just completely stuck that into the text. This is flat-out hermeneutical eisegesis. And he says, if you'll go high road, you'll begin to live the fulfilled life. And what I No, the Apostle Paul did not say, if you go high road, you'll begin to live the fulfilled life. You put those words into his pen and into his mouth, and he never said them, sir. I've noticed is you can see two people in the same situation, and one's got a good attitude and one's got a bad attitude. And you say, it's not the situation. It's how they respond to it. I love this. I brought it with me. It's a... This is a laminated card. Whenever I laminate something, folks, it's important. Well, I'll be sure to pay attention to what you laminate. I mean, in fact, if I'd have been Moses going up on Mount Sinai, I'd have laminated the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Aren't you holy? I would have put them on stone. Those babies will break. I would have laminated the Ten Commandments. And when I laminate something, I even think it gets holy. That's another story, but I just do. I, it, I am sure you do. You know, that's actually a problem. And, and, and this is, we're talking about high road, low road, and how, how people can be in the same home and respond differently. And, and this is an animal story. This is, this, I, I'm going to read you some excerpts from a dog's diary and excerpts from a cat's diary. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want to actually, you know, read the Bible from a real translation in context and tell us about Jesus now, would you? So let's please share with us the laminated dog diary and cat diary. I'm sure it's really important. From the dog's diary, 8 a.m. dog food, (laughs) my favorite thing. 9.30, a car ride, (gasps) my favorite thing. 9.40, a walk in the park. My favorite thing. 10.30, I got rubbed and petted. My favorite thing. Noon lunch. My favorite thing. 1 p.m., played in the yard. My favorite thing. 3 p.m., wag my tail. My favorite thing. 5 p.m., milk bones. My favorite thing. 7 p.m., got to play ball. My favorite thing. 8 p.m. Yeah, you know what my favorite thing is? Actually hearing a preacher rightly handle God's word and tell me about Jesus Christ. That's my favorite thing. You know what my least favorite thing is? Somebody who pretends to be a pastor, who mangles God's word and turns it into something that it's not, who completely misses the point of the text and points me to myself or some other stupid principle they think they've discovered and turns the law into the gospel as if that you can even do such a thing. 
That's the my least favorite thing. Wow. Watch TV with the people. <laughs> my favorite thing. Let PM sleeping on the bed. My favorite thing. Excerpts from a cat's diary. Day 983 of my captivity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're entertaining these people all the way to hell. That's just great. (laughs) My My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. (laughs) Isn't that true? Haven't we seen that before, huh? Two same home, two totally opposite attitudes. Paul very simply says, okay, if you want to have a great attitude, you want to have a filled life, it's very simple. No, the Apostle Paul is not saying that. This is eisegesis. Possess a teachable spirit, take responsibility for your attitude, travel the high road. Number four. Understand its value. Understand the value of a great attitude because there's little difference in people, but the little difference. Really, the Apostle Paul taught us to, import, uh, to understand the importance of a great attitude. Really. Yeah, I didn't see that in uh, Philippians 4 when I read it in context. Difference makes a big difference. The little difference is attitude, and the big difference is whether it's positive or whether it's negative. And the Apostle Paul says, it is our choice. And then he began. No, he didn't say that. Begins to help us understand the value of a good attitude. And let me say three things in wrapping this up today. Don't you think you've done enough damage? One, a good attitude has value at the beginning of a task. Nothing's more important than the attitude when you start something. All is well that begins well. Every surgeon knows that the attitude of the patient is key before surgery. Every coach knows the attitude of the team is very important before they play ball. Every prof knows the attitude of the students is important before they take the test. Number two, a good attitude has value in the middle of the task. In the middle of the task, we're in the middle of the whole process. Sometimes we get a little tired, a little worn out. What should we do? That attitude makes all the difference in the world. What I have discovered is this. People that have an attitude of gratitude, people that, people that appreciate what they have. It may be a little bit, it may be a lot, it may, but they appreciate what they have. Here's what I learned a long time ago. What you appreciate, appreciates. Oh, yeah. Everyone, oh, that's stupid. And the more you complain, the less you'll obtain. Oh, and it rhymed, too. Oh, that was such great iambic pentameter. Thanks. You speak health into your life. Really? I speak health into my life. Motivational self-help preacher who's sounding more word faith by the moment. You speak good things in your life or you speak bad things into your life. You. Oh, man, this is just flat-out satanic false doctrine. You think? Do you think Jesus spoke the crucifixion into his life? You think the, that came about as a result of stinking thinking or a bad attitude? Well, Jesus was crucified. Well, because he spoke, he spoke death into his life. Yeah, see, he told the disciples, "You know, I'm going to Jerusalem to die at the hands of uh, you know the Gentiles." 
And see, that's why it happened, because he was dumb enough to actually speak it out loud. Good things, or you think bad things in your life. And number three, a good attitude has value at the end of the day. When the day is over, all is well that ends well. Let me tell you a story. Yeah, please, I can't wait. Maybe it'll be a Bible story and you'll bless us with it. I wish my dad were here today. No, sorry. I didn't mean to get too optimistic there. Hey, he's an amazing man. He's 89 years old. Is he as amazing as Jesus? That's all I need to know. If he's not as amazing as Jesus, I don't really want to hear about him. Can you tell me about the more amazing person, Jesus, instead, please? Um, Mom passed away almost two years ago now, but he and Mom had been married for 67 years. But if my dad were here today, um, you would understand what I'm about to tell you. He is the most positive encourager I know. That's great. Did he die on the cross for my sins? Was, Was he sinless in his encouragement? I mean, if he caught you in the lobby... I will promise you in two minutes, you don't want to leave him. Well, that's great. I've never met him. Is he, is he uh, everywhere at the same time? Is he eminent in the creation? Can I tap into his positiveness from here? Did he die on the cross for my sins? Is he like, you know, God, is he omniscient, omnipresent, and all that kind of stuff? If not, then, yeah, I don't really care. This is sermon time. I'm supposed to be hearing about Jesus. I mean, you, you just want to stay right there because he'll look into your life and he'll speak good words into your life and he'll talk to you about how wonderful life is and, and he's got this enthusiasm, this wonderful positive spirit and this positive attitude. How much do you want to bet your dad is a sinner who needs a savior? How much do you want to bet that he needs a crucified and risen Lord? And I'm telling you, he is like a, he's like a magnet. People just are drawn to my dad because of this incredible attitude and this incredible spirit of encouragement that he has. Well, praise the Lord. And it's contagious. And everybody knows it. Yeah, I think your false doctrine is contagious, like a disease. I think the Center for Disease Control needs to take a hard look at this viral strain of false doctrine and see the damage that it's wreaking on the body of Christ. He told me one time, he said, John, he said, I'm just telling you. He said, isn't it amazing? The, The older you get, the more you love people. I said, that's not true. That's not true. I know a lot of people getting older, but they're not getting better. Come on, talk to me, huh? Oh, no, no, they're not getting better. You, you see, my dad's getting better because he's got all this good stuff in him. He's thought, that, he's thought all these... So no, Your dad's getting better because he has all this good stuff in him. Like I said, how much you want to bet he's a, he's a wretched sinner just like the rest of humanity? It's true in his life, but, but I said, Dad, that's not true with everybody. In fact, maturity doesn't always accompany age. Sometimes age comes alone. I could wait on you. <laughs> so my dad, after Mom died, we said, let's get him in a kind of a total senior citizen's care complex. You know, be around the medical people. I mean, his health is very good, but we just didn't want him by himself. And so in Winter Haven, Florida, where he, where he lives, just, they just were just building one. And so we, you know, we registered him in there, and, and they accepted him. And, and, and so he would go down, even before they opened, he'd go down every day and see the workers. 
And so they all knew him. He'd go in and see him, and he'd encourage him. He'd bring him water to drink and sodas to drink, and, and they just all loved him. And, and one day he was talking. He says, you know, the workers and I and all the people, we've all agreed, I'm going to be the first one to move in. I said, Dan, that's neat. I said, is there a reason you want to be the first one to move in? I said, of course. He said, John, you don't understand. There's a bunch of old people going to come here. <laughs> By the way, my dad's going to live till he dies. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. No, really. You see, that doesn't happen to most people. Most people die. Most people, they're already dead. They just haven't made it official yet. Why don't you talk about how the Bible says that all of humanity is by nature dead in trespasses and sins, and we're made alive by the preaching of the gospel, repentance, and the forgiveness of our sins won by Christ on the cross. You think that might come in as like a major point in your sermon, sir? He said, all these old people are going to be coming. And he said, they're going to be concerned because, you know, this is a change in their life and, and some of them are leaving their family. And he said, I need to be there first so that I can be at the front door. And everybody that moves in, I want to be the first to greet them and I want to shake their hand. I want to smile. And, and I just want to tell them that, that I love them and I'm glad to have them here and, and we'll have a good time and we'll eat together and we'll be friends. And he said, I just, want to, I just want to encourage everybody that comes through. And sure enough, the day it opened, he moved in. And he has greeted for the last seven months every person that's walked in there. Hi, my name is Melvin Maxwell, and I just want you to know we're going to be friends, and it's going to be okay. Listen, my friend, how can a person at 89 feel like that, live like that, talk like that, believe like that? I can tell you, for 89 years, he's put good stuff in, and he knows if you put good stuff in long enough, when people come up and squeeze you, good stuff comes out. Um, yeah, I don't need sound biblical doctrine, a crucified and risen Savior. I don't need the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at all for any of this. This is just have a positive attitude. Put good stuff in your brain, and then good stuff will come out. Yeah. Wow. And he's getting a round of applause for this banal, shallow, false doctrine. Wonderful. So my message is very simple. Put some good stuff in. Do what Paul says. And just when you walk through people and they bump you, just let that good stuff squeeze out on them. And be an incredible salt and light and witness for the Lord because you're yeah, yeah, the way we're salt and light for the Lord is by preaching the gospel, sir. Your attitude will determine your altitude. Thank you. Oh, what a bunch of garbage platitudes. Your attitude will determine your altitude. Thank you so much. God bless you. I'll see you at the back. Have a good day. Yeah, I'll have a good day as soon as I get this sermon out of my mind. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, why do I feel like I'm going to end up having to review more of his stuff? <sighs> Christless, crossless, just banal self-help, feel-goodism with platitudes and stupid, pithy little statements and out-of-context verses and preaching from the message paraphrase. That wasn't biblical doctrine. That wasn't a Christ-centered, cross-focused sermon that you heard. 
That was a pep talk. And I could have got that from Anthony Robbins or one of the infomercial self-help gurus. Yeah, sorry, we've got more important things to do during sermon time at church, and it involves opening up God's Word and hearing the pastor preach it in season and out of season, in context, the full counsel of the Word of God that points us to Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, who, though being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and was obedient even to death on the cross. And he did that for you, and he did it for me. I got more important people to hear about than your father or your grandfather or your aunts and uncles and your cousins or your, or your wife. Or, I don't, yeah, sorry. They're all part of the problem. The solution is Jesus. You get what I'm saying? When I go to church, I go there to not worship myself or give glory to your family or to your cleverness or to how entertaining you are or how, how good you deliver a joke. I go to church to do the things of heaven, to laud and magnify the glorious name of Jesus Christ, who at the name of him, Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't have time. don't have time to give rounds of applauses to your peppy good attitude relatives. Sorry. Last time I checked, they're sinners just like me in need of the Savior. And you'd be wise, Pastor, to talk about the one who's really amazing, the one who died and rose again. Unbelievable. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. We depend upon you in order to continue to bring this important outreach to you and discernment work that we do, exposing the false teachers and the deceptions of the devil that point us away from Christ. We can't do what we do without your help. And we're about 25% of the way to our goal of 350 new subscribers to our uh, you know, pirate Christian radio uh, crew. If you are not a member of our crew already, we truly do need your help. The way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Click on the join our crew button, and after you fill that all out, I'll send you a copy, uh, the link to download our latest book, The Sufferings of Jesus Christ for Sinners. Compare the sermons in that book that I've edited and prepared for you to the sermon you just heard from one of the leading Christian speakers on the planet, John Maxwell, and you'll realize there's just no comparison. One is selling pop beads and, and, and glitter, and the other is bringing us Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. The contrast will be stark. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you'd like to contact me, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross. 
for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.